Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and today uh, I have a couple uh, friends that have been on the podcast before. Uh, so I welcome back uh, EJ Tupe, who's the uh, now director of Toronto Mission Hub, Urban Mission Hub, and Mike Morenci, the executive director of Matthew House Windsor. And we're going to be talking today about a, a story that uh, has been unfolding in uh, Toronto and Ontario news uh, over uh, the last uh, three, four months, uh, back into the summer anyways. And, and what happened was that uh, over 200 refugee claimants uh, from primarily African nations found themselves sleeping on the streets. Uh, many were outside of a homeless support center at 129 Peter Street in downtown Toronto. And initially, it seemed like there was a, a stalemate going on between levels of government when it comes to who was going to fund what. And uh, in the meantime, uh, over 200 uh, people with no home uh, needed some place to go. Well, into that crisis, there were three churches primarily that got involved by opening up their buildings to provide shelter and food. Uh, Revival Time Tabernacle, uh, Pilgrim Feast Tabernacle, and Dominion Church International. Well, as that uh, as those churches jumped into the fray and and uh, took uh, uh, many many people in into their buildings that were not set up as shelters, uh, but to to provide the mattresses and bedding and and start feeding them and and uh, they um, eventually uh, their uh, many of the asylum seekers ended up being put on the train. And uh, many of them came to Windsor. And uh, so Matthew House has been serving uh, a part of that population. So uh, welcome, guys. And uh, uh, also uh, today, uh, Mike Marenzi is uh, launching a new podcast called The Welcome. Uh, so Mike, uh, why don't you, uh, before we get into our, our discussion today, tell us a bit about uh, The Welcome. Awesome. Thanks for having me today, uh, Kevin. Uh, it's, we're really excited with Matthew House to be launching the welcome. Uh, it is really what we are doing today, continuing on. We will be inviting um, municipal leaders, provincial leaders, leaders of refugee shelters, leaders of churches, um, and refugees themselves onto the welcome to discuss how we as churches and community organizations can ensure that newcomers feel welcome and, and feel um, that they are part of our community, that they have the services and supports they need to very quickly thrive in our communities and integrate in our churches, integrate in our workplaces, integrate in our schools. So we're not launched yet. I hope uh, by the end of November that it'll be live on, on various platforms. So watch for the welcome coming soon. Well, we'll be promoting it here as well. Uh, we'll put uh, uh, that name into the show notes. And uh, once uh, once it's it's launched, it should show up on the podcast platforms. And uh, we'll do what we can to help uh, cross-promote. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. EJ, uh, you know, so uh, I introduced you as the uh, director of Toronto Urban Mission Hub. 
and uh, that's that's part of another thing that's been going on for uh, a year or two. Uh, yeah. Do you want to just talk a little bit about Toronto Urban Mission Hub and and your role with that? Yeah, so uh, I guess two years ago now. So weird. Two years ago, um, I was asked to step in as an interim pastor here at Danforth, what used to be called Danforth Community Church. And uh, while we were doing the transition, um, it just kind of came up that perhaps um, there was a way to allow ministry to continue here, but a different way of doing the, the leadership structure. We have a shortage of urban ministry leaders, which is partially why I do our city. They're all in Windsor. So, I hate to. They're all in to Windsor. Yeah. <laughs> Urban leaders don't grow in trees in Toronto, it seems. And uh, and also, um, yeah, this church, this still, still had some vitality. So we um, suggested for them to become a satellite of Stone Church. But before this whole transition happened, there was already a dialogue between Mission Canada to, to start an urban mission hub. At that moment, we didn't know what that meant. Um, Kevin and Brian just loved the idea, but the actual practice of it, we don't know. I didn't know either. We, nobody knew. Uh, so when the transition happened, uh, then the dialogue moved forward about what does an urban mission hub look like. Uh, and that's kind of what um, it's just been a, a I, I, I can't say accidental progression because usually it's a, there's a holy progression going on. Like God had a plan and we're just getting on, getting on it. And so, uh, yeah, in, in a short time, uh, I've been here uh, launching a, a shared space. So this is going to be a shared co-working space. So the idea is how can we um, come up with new ways of sharing resources in the city? And also, how can we come up with new ways of sharing our knowledge of resource with each other? So um, out of this space now, we launched a, a food bank together. So I, I'm serving as a, a volunteer director, helping with the operations. Um, that was an accident. For those of you who have known me a long time, I've, I've never talked about food insecurity. And all of a sudden, here's a food bank. And then um, segue to our situation now. I've also never talked about refugees. <laughs> I've mostly talked about homeless people and drug dealers and my neighbors. And here I am in the middle of a refugee crisis in my city. <laughs> because they're part of your city. That's right. In my, yeah. yeah, when your primary posture is presence, uh, it changes. it changes what you do, right? Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating how in community, there's this guy named John Perkins Jr. So he started this thing called Christian Community Development. And so presence is a primary thing for him. And and I've been a big disciple of the CCDA. I've been, I like to say I've been a practitioner of it for about 15 years. And so with presence being my primary role, that manifests in different ways in different seasons. So now it's assisting Dominion Church in whatever way I can. <laughs> yeah so so ej maybe you can uh just kind of i mean you you've been closely associated as the story was developing uh, maybe you can just fill us in on what happened and and uh how you ended up uh being uh being led into an involvement with it yeah so um there's been a uh 
overtaxed shelter system in my city for the past five years. So I have friends of mine that are shelter directors and their, um, their capacity has been at over 100% for the past five years. So what that means is the amount of beds available versus people, and they usually go over, especially during the winter time. Uh, and so before this whole thing happened, that was already the situation. And then um, this summer, I guess there's been a, a slow trickle of African refugees that have been uh, arriving. And I say slow trickle because three to four per day doesn't seem like a lot, but when they have nowhere to go and that goes on for weeks, now you get up to 300. So it was all over the news that right on Peter Street, the Toronto Shelter and Assessment Center had over uh, almost 300 refugees that were outside trying to find shelter space. And um, the reason why they're out there is because of uh, lack of resources. Uh, at least that's that's the company line, lack of resources. I would argue that it's also a lack of imagination. So mm -hmm. people have um, people have valued policies over people. And so in, I guess, um, some uh, Black-led churches and pastors just could not stand the sight of the it, what they would deem as an, an immoral act um, because uh, lots of refugees come to the country and for some reason, it's all Africans that were on the streets of Toronto. And so it was all in the news that uh, mid-July, they uh, organized to bring people into their churches and to try to push the government, uh, whatever level that is, so federal, provincial, or municipal, to come up with something because that's what was happening. So the municipality is saying, well, this is the federal government's problem because people are going in uh, as refugees and there's no supports. And then the province is saying, well, we're not, we're not set up for this. And then on the and then the federal is saying, well, they're in your city, but the municipality is saying we're tapped out. So all this finger pointing has led to the situation. And I guess uh, the pastors dip, dip their toes into something that to be honest, they didn't fully understand. They weren't thinking with their head, my friends, they were thinking with their heart. So um, I guess that's a short way of putting the situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike, maybe you can uh, just uh, for anybody that's listening to the podcast and, you know, they're if they're living off of, um, you know, uh, sound bites and and, uh, you know, political opinions and word on the street. Some people may not know the difference between uh, somebody who is immigrating or somebody who is an asylum seeker. Can you just give us a quick overview of uh, the, the, the different ways that people from other nations end up in Canada and, and who we're talking about today? Absolutely. So Canada actually has an amazing multi-stream immigration system. In, in many ways, it's it's the envy of the world. We have streams for family unification and business class and, and education and private sponsorship and government sponsorship and blended sponsorship. 
Um, and for refugees who most people, Canadians think of refugees as government assisted or privately sponsored, the Syrian refugees or the Afghan refugees, and they have somebody to meet them at the airport, help them with counseling, employment supports, um, help them with clothes, help them find housing. And the people that we're talking about are are asylum seekers or refugee claimants. And these are people who, because of Canada's commitment to the Geneva Convention, they arrive at our border, enter our country, and they request refugee protection here. So unlike the United States, it's legal for them to do so. Um, there's, you know, people, politicians will sometimes start referring to them as illegal migrants, illegal immigrants. They're not. Um, if their intent is to uh, request refugee protection, they're, they're entitled to do so. But the federal government says, well, okay, you're welcome to come in and, and we'll give you a safe and fair hearing when our system allows for that. But A, they haven't been investing in the system nearly enough. And B, they, they take the approach that until you've had a successful hearing, it's hands off. You're not our problem. Um, and, and typically they don't provide um, shelter or food or any settlement supports for refugee claimants because they are not yet been determined to be what's called a convention refugee. Um, but the reality is, is that asylum seekers um, are three to five years at least behind other refugees. So government-assisted refugees, privately sponsored refugees arrive here with their permanent residence status, work their work permit um, with all those other supports. Um, a, just to get their, their um, permanent residence status, a refugee claimant is typically looking at uh, three to five years. And family reunification could be as many as seven or eight years before they're able to bring their children into Canada with them. So the, there's the big difference is, is that there, there is no program from the government to support refugee claimants on an ongoing basis. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, in our discussion today, the people we're talking about are those asylum seekers. They are mm -hmm. the most at risk, the most vulnerable, uh, the ones that um, are, uh, you know, very likely to be homeless if somebody like Matthew House or <laughs> Dominion Church or some of the others that have, have stepped up. Uh, if we don't do something, uh, they are homeless and 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 not and not because much, of. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah and yeah. much less likely to be successful in their settlement. Yeah. So rather than you know, for Matthew House, the person from the point they get their work permit is typically employed within about eight days, and off of social assistance within about three months. If you take away those supports, I know people at the at the hotels that. Um, it's been nine, 10 months and, and they're not employed yet. They're still in the hotel. They're still on social assistance. Um, and they're really struggling to find ways to integrate into the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, back, EJ, let's go back to um, where you first intersected with the emerging crisis in Toronto. How did, how did you uh, end up with uh, Pastor Eddie and Dominion Church? Well. Uh, I watched on the news. Uh, I, I've, no, I've been passing by Peter Street, and I knew the situation. So when I saw the news, um, I was moved, and I was uh, in, inspired, actually. Uh, it's, it's so great to see the churches 
step up. And so I just had some things to do. So I, I, I didn't, I knew that there would be a flurry of early adopters. So I waited until week three to show up. And literally all I wanted to show up for was uh, I brought some food from Second Harvest because I because of the food bank I started, I had extra food. And then as I'm there, uh, I got to chat with uh, Pastor Judith. She's the lead pastor of of uh, Revival Time. And I'm, I'm noticing uh, that there are significant gaps that they are of let's float like just falling through the cracks just because they don't know how the system works. So for example, one of the first ones was um, uh, food. So I said, Hey, did you get food from second harvest? And she's like, it's just down the street. I don't know how to do that. So I said, do you want me to do that for you? She's like, please. And so I spent my, then I spent my, that first week doing assessments, visiting each site. It took me a while to figure out what was fully going on because it wasn't just revival time. And then when I found out about Dominion, I, I also discovered the same thing. So there are two things I discovered. Uh, they're learning how to navigate the system. And two, they're learning how to run an emergency shelter right in the middle of running one. <laughs> so, so no, no time like the present to learn. Oh, eh? oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oddly enough, uh, uh, Brian Eggert and Kevin were on this meeting for my review of how like I have experience on both things. I've, I've worked 10 years in shelter. I know how shelters work. I had a, an offer to be a director in a shelter actually earlier this year. And I also know how the city works. And so in, in one week, I did assessments. I China, I made some small but big uh, suggestions to help them like just function a little better. Um, and then um, I helped Second Harvest start doing food deliveries. They just, uh, basically what was happening was a very Pentecostal problem. The city <laughs> was speaking in English, but it wasn't intelligible to the leaders of the church. And the leaders of the church were also speaking in English, but also intelligible, unintelligible to the city. Yeah. So they were all speaking in tongues. And I'm there to interpret for both sides. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's a, an amazing explanation, EJ. That That is so spot on as far as uh, the disconnect between churches or charities for that matter and levels of government. Yeah. yeah. And so the problem is, so there's these pastors who are speaking and they don't feel like they're being heard because they're not. But then there's the city or government officials who can't also admit that they don't know how to speak this language. But because they hold the power, they won't admit their own um, shortcomings because that's the real issue here. Um, and now there's been a, a flow of information. I've been helping here and there and when I need to step in. So I, oddly enough, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in a very crucial role. Um, and uh, just, to, just to give you a bit of a, a funny thing here, uh, Mike, I'm doing a lot of executive director functions mm -hmm. without the title yeah. or the authority. <laughs> Or the pay. Yeah. Or the pay. <laughs> yeah. 
because you're doing it within the context of other people's organizations because you're trying to help those churches do these things. Yeah, yeah. I have to earn every inch of authority and and trust and respect, yeah. uh, which is fine. To be honest with you, that's that's been my life. I I I don't have much of an ego anymore that doesn't need to be the EJ show. Um, but it's it's frustrating. It's challenging. But at the same time, I've I've uh, I, I switched to just focusing on Dominion because uh, Revival Time had an end date. So they closed down their site in August. Yeah. Uh, and then Dominion is part of our fellowship. So and Pastor Eddie is part of our fellowship. And it's funny because they asked me the other day, how does how does the PAOC work? And I said to them, well, it's like choose your own adventure. You get a membership fee. And if you if that's all you want to do, pay the membership fee, and then that's it. And that's what you get. Or if you want to show up to things and build relationships, that's also what you get. <laughs> so I said, you're getting help because you asked for help and you're functioning in fellowship with me. <laughs> So yeah, that's how that's how I'm in here. It's it is precarious. This is the craziest thing I've ever dealt with in my life. <laughs> so, um, in terms of uh, you know uh, being that uh, <clears throat> cultural translator uh, between two worlds, um, you know what uh, uh, what who would you work with at the city? What kind of departments? Uh, did you uh, work higher than the city or just primarily in, in City Hall? Oh, I've done it all. So um, I've had meetings with my MP. I've had mm -hmm. meetings with city councilors. I've had meetings with the SSHA. But I know how to navigate some of that stuff. I've, I've SS, been SSHA? So that's a social service and housing administration. So they're okay. the ones yeah. who run the shelters. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, because I've been a board member in a city-funded uh, community center, I realized that our governance structure is actually the same as the city. So when I see how they do their agendas, how they do their committees, it actually echoes what I've been functioning in. So for the past five five years, I've been serving in this role, and I thought it's just something I do, and, and uh, I, it helps me have a voice with our city councilor. But I didn't know that it was actually teaching me skills that I would need for today. So I was learning mm -hmm. governance. I'm learning mm -hmm. uh, how the city structure functions. And so in return, I'm trying to coach um, some of the leaders in here of how to navigate that. So, so EJ, what kind of advice would you give to churches or ministries that uh, realize, hey, we need to work more closely with our city um you know how what what would you if you were given a primer to churches and ministries who really you know like you mentioned how thinking with their hearts and uh you know that's the starting point that then inevitably leads to well you also have to now start thinking with your head yeah yeah, yeah. well there's two things i would suggest i would actually start with a the theological renovation mm-hmm we read our scriptures too shallow. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we we read it like chicken soup for the soul, and we read the Old Testament like, how can I make this passage make me feel good? 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Or like, what do I, and, and that's not bad. I'm not saying that's a bad way of reading scripture. It's just incomplete. Yeah. Like if you read through uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all the stuff that people don't like, I actually read it very differently now. That's holy governance. Yeah. That is holy. And it's governance. not about us. It's about yes. the kingdom the whole Bible front to back is, right. is not about us. It's about the kingdom. Yeah. And so we need to to read the scriptures that way. All of a sudden it's like, wait, maybe God had some brilliant ideas of how things should run. <laughs> There's an idea. But second of all, I think we need to realize that we are not in the power seat. That in we need to earn, we need to earn the right to be heard. And how you earn the right to be heard is you posture yourself as a servant. And um I know, I know um, both of you would know this well when we're serving marginalized populations. Most of their lives, they have been disappointed by people in power. And so flexing any power or authority is just, you're just asking to be told to F off. That's, that's what you're asking for. But if you posture yourself as a servant, as helpful, um, one day you get to call in your chips. It's almost like Nehemiah. You know, people like that idea when Nehemiah got that great funding fundraising campaign and got all that money. But scripture was silent on what it took for him to get to that moment. That for him to be the cupbearer of the king, he needed to serve. He needed to earn, earn that spot. And, and he needed uh, to risk his life by speaking out, right? I, Nehemiah didn't keep yeah. his mouth shut when he should have as that cupbearer but he said hey there's a problem yeah yeah and and perfect example i'm seeing god's word playing out in all of this in yeah. all of this and and um you know and and I, i'll be honest sometimes i go to church and it's like I, I, again like chicken soup for the soul <laughs> 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 is it is it is it isn't the word more uh more powerful than this you know it's and so uh, those are some two suggestions i would i would say you know like um and it's important to start with the word yeah i think that's the most important part sometimes i think people want to be swayed by uh, pragmatism mm -hmm. so in order to get influence and power i have to compromise on on serving god i actually don't believe that and I have friends of mine that that I'm not going to name names, but I wonder whether they've compromised their their faith, they've compromised walking the Jesus way, in order to be postured a certain way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a couple good thoughts there: uh, a theological renovation, and uh, and coming as a servant to earn uh, the trust. To, to to establish uh, your your willing character, yeah. Um, EJ, uh, so in in the work that you've been doing, it's been a lot of uh, the strategic work around it. Have you also had a chance to mix and mingle um, with the folks staying in shelter as well? I I try not to. <laughs> yeah. Not because I not because I don't love them. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but because I know I will lose it. <laughs> uh 
crying. I can already predict what kind of stories I'll be hearing. I've been, I've been serving yeah. marginalized people for 18 years, so it's what I'm. I I can already predict what I'm gonna hear. I mean, I do obviously. If someone talks to me, I'm not gonna be like, no, sorry, go go ahead. get out of my lane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I I I chat, um, but right now they 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 need more than just my listening ear. They need yeah. they need my harnessed anger. I'm so angry for them. I'm so angry for them that they were left out on a lurch. And they need me to sit back and do emails. They need me to, and and to be honest, it's a new season for me to do that. I've been always the guy who's who been giving the service directly, and that's a wonderful exchange. I've benefited from that for years, but now I think the season is God has called me to serve people from afar. So even the food bank that I run. Um, we have served over 150 family types here now, and uh, only three people have talked to me. They never see me, um, and and um, and it's the same here. I I want I want the people from the church to be the hands and feet, um, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm and I'm on the background. But you know, like it's funny. This Saturday, I led a, a church group to come and. And help with just setting up shelves, which they didn't think was important. I'm like, no, trust me, it's important. And um, yeah, it helped organize how their flow is. And man, they like there were no incidents this week because of that. A small thing like shelves, like that's the stuff I think about. And one guy, Pastor Steve, uh, from Ennisville Community Church, he had a truck full of jackets and and uh, winter gear. And of course, everyone's freaking out about winter, right? They're, it's their first winter. And Pastor Steve was getting followed like a mother duckling and built. <laughs> <laughs> and he opened his truck and all the jackets are gone. <laughs> yeah. But those people from Steve's, I mean, people aren't stupid. And they may not know the map. But they know Innisfil is not Toronto. So yeah. they know that here this church is that drove in and gave them a coat, which says, I love you. Right. I mean, yeah. that is biblical, right? Yeah. When you know, if you're if your neighbor, you know, give them your shirt. Um, so so those people know that this church invested in them as a person, invested in a very core basic need. Yeah, they're still shaking. I mean, that Pastor Steve, I I Ask them how are the people doing. They said that drive home was emotional. Um, because imagine a sanctuary filled with um filled with beds. Actually, can I show a photo? Yeah. Am I uh let me show you uh, let a me photo? See. So if uh if uh podcast listeners you won't be able to see it, but uh we can if EJ sends it to me, I'll put it in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, EJ, you should be able to share screen here. Yeah. This is what their sanctuary looks like. This is which church? Dominion. This is Dominion. Which actually, compared to some of the ones that I've seen, looks pretty good. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Right. Uh, uh, and, and honestly, and I've, I've worked in shelters a long time. Uh, yeah. And of course, physically, this is not the best setup. 
But man, people are getting treated like human beings. Yeah. You know, I, I advised them earlier on because the volunteers are saying it's so much work. And they said, well, why don't you involve people to help you? Oh. And so now, like every time we're there, like everyone feels like they are part of their own shelter. Yeah. They help with the cooking. They help with the setting up. They help with the cleaning. They help with, with also, they have ownership. And I'm hearing people speak in their heart African language. I never see that in shelter. So yeah. it's it there are some incredible lessons happening here. And and you know it's funny this the city will talk about Toronto shelter standards, right? I love harping on that policy document. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, as much as they talk about standards of how people should be sheltered, that same policy is why it costs so much to run a sh a shelter. And that same policy is the reason that allowed people to sleep outside. Yeah. Meanwhile, Pastor Eddie's shelter standard is written on his heart. No African brother or sister of mine sleeps outside. Oh, I love that. So who's that. whose shelter standard should we go with? Yeah. <laughs> right? And Pastor Eddie doesn't know how to run a shelter. This dude has no idea what he's doing. And he'll yeah. tell you that. I appreciate because, you know, it's also the sweetest thing here, too. You know, when we see arrogance in church leadership, there's just something foul about it. But, man, I see this guy who knows he's in over his head. And so he asks for help. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. asks for help because his heart, his heart is not overwhelmed. His heart is in the right place, you know. Who wouldn't serve with a guy like that any day, any day? EJ, um, a couple questions I want to ask. Uh, first of all, first question would be about uh, some of the uh, <clears throat> the shelter costs. Uh, what what did uh, Dominion Church and others take on when they opened their doors in terms of uh, the cost of doing that? And secondly, um, they uh, eventually had to... Uh, vacate uh from those premises and so maybe you can tell us that story as well yeah, yeah yeah this and then this goes on to the windsor thing so pre-pandemic rates there's this thing called per diem rates per diem is uh it's it's a business term how much the city will pay per person per night who's in a shelter so the pre-pandemic rate was 55 dollars per person per night this is pre-pandemic that's no longer the number now I can't get the exact number of what it is, so I don't want to say it, but it's higher than $55 per person per night. So if you look at uh, Dominion Church, so at first they had 150 people. So 150 people times 55 is 8,250 per day. Now multiply that by 30 days, that's $247,500 per month. Okay, that's a per diem rate of $55 per person per night. The per diem rate that I submitted to the city on their behalf was $18.48 per person per night. $18, literally a third of what the city used to spend. And it's fighting, and we fight tooth and nail to even get that. They should have said yes to that 
three days after I submitted it. And so the cost is high. The cost is high. And if this church, if Dominion Church was given appropriate resources, they would be they would be running better than most shelters, I guarantee you. Yeah. Because they are driven not by business. They are driven by their heart. Now, that goes back to some of the language thing that you were talking about earlier, EJ, where um, where the, the the churches and the municipality are speaking different language. So, I mean, I was speaking to our, our MPP the other day and our MP, and he was saying, well, Mike, you got to you got to make a business case for them. Um, and, and he's right, because that's the language that they're that they're speaking. However, there's also, you know, some some trust factors that that we as a church have to, to work on. Um, but it goes back to that that language and and uh, Pastor Eddie is speaking language of the heart and the municipality yeah. is speaking the language of professional social work and and uh, business. But here's the problem. I, I I met that gap. I wrote a proposal that made sense literally in their way of of yeah. talking. Even the per diem rate, literally the budget I submitted was literally in their format. <laughs> Like it was so yeah. the fact that they did would have saved them lots and lots of money. That's right. But the fact that they were slow on it exposes the truth. It's not just the policy or the way. It's we've we've valued policies over people. We've valued um the head over the heart. That when someone shows us a different way instead of celebration we look at it with skepticism i don't know what kind of notes the city wrote about how dominion church ran i don't know what kind of notes they said about uh, or even revival time i can already predict that they wrote some red flags but then like are they writing red flags about how they run things about their own staff about how their own shelters run I mean, but back to the story. So another layer of Dominion, because it's super complicated, is they don't own their space. They rent the church portion, and then there's a banquet hall adjacent to their church that's technically not theirs, but most of the time it's not used. So their landlord is a small Pentecostal denomination called the Church of Pentecost. <laughs> so the Church of Pentecost does not want refugees in their space so now on top of the city there's a landlord that doesn't want this to go on and then pastor eddie with his shelter standard of not letting people be outside allowed his number to balloon up to 248 people so <laughs> because he's not thinking with his head he's thinking with his heart yeah right and then this was going on for a few weeks. We told the city, this is going on, do something, no response. Uh, we even almost ran out of food, uh, told the city, no response. We had to make up, I, I needed to figure out how to do MOUs. And anyways, they don't know how to do that. And then one day I get a phone call on a Wednesday night, Pastor Eddie calls me in frantic, uh, a, couple, a number of people, Alexa, there's a bunch of us that have stepped up to work together. And essentially, the landlord ordered the, the 100 people sleeping in the banquet wall, hall to get out because they needed to prep for 
banquets that were happening for Thanksgiving. <laughs> because that's that's more important. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's be thankful. <laughs> well, yeah, let's you uh, laugh or you cry. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if there's a nuanced explanation, that's those are the facts. Those are yeah. the facts. And so on, so it took all night to convince them to buy them one day. And then the IRCC uh, already had agreed to get 25 people. And because of the urgency, they bumped it up to 92. We'll take them to Windsor. And so magically, the next day, we had a meeting with a city councilor, Councilor Bravo, who said nothing. She said a lot of something and said nothing. And so literally after the meeting, I was in the room with the other black pastors and Alexa Gilmore, and we knew that we got work. <laughs> we just got work. Yeah. But now we're like, okay, we need to buy one night so that people don't sleep outside before they get on that bus. And so a United Minister, their church down here, down the street here, Eastminster, agreed to house the 100 people for one night. So we got buses, city buses to move them there. Awesome. And then uh, they landed in Windsor. And then I saw the news story that they landed with you. <laughs> <laughs> So we got uh, this uh, Windsor, the Toronto Windsor Railroad, and yeah. uh, what, uh, and that that's not unlike municipalities to send people that they can't support to another community, hoping that the other community can support them. Yeah, yeah. But as a matter of fact, pre-COVID, the city of Toronto was paying. Um, a, a couple of organizations in Toronto we worked with, they were paying X amount of dollars for them to uh, find shelter for them in other communities. So we actually partnered with one of our, our faith-based Christian shelters in Toronto, FCGA Refugee Center, um, and had a number of refugee families come to Windsor um, back in, in 2019, 2020, um paid for by the city of toronto like they paid for their shelter for the first three months here in windsor because they're trying to clear them out of toronto i'm yeah. almost curious what the per diem rate was that would have been great to know <laughs> yeah I bet you it's higher than 55 or 18 <laughs> yeah. We, yeah we could talk off the off broadcast on that one <laughs> so mike maybe you can uh pick up the, the story here uh, as uh, people arrive in Windsor, uh, what's uh, what's your role with Matthew House? How how did that intersect? Well, let me actually take a little bit of a step back because I mean Matthew House turned twenty this year, and uh, we are recognized by Canada Border Services as the lead agency for refugee claimants in this area. Um, however, that recognition from CBSA doesn't necessarily translate to um, municipality, the province, the feds, IRCC funded agencies. Um, so a lot of the, the interpreting um, and, and adapting to the different communications and expectations um, that, that EJ talked about are, are a daily struggle for us as well. 
because um, whether people are in a, in a gymnasium or they're in our facility, um, there's still refugee claimants. And uh, for, we've been watching very closely um, the numbers of asylum seekers coming into Canada as it has gone up and up and up and up and up. So, I mean, um, pre-2017, we had a 15-year national average of about 27,000 uh, refugee claimants entering the country. Um, 2019, the last full year before COVID, we had 65,040. Um, in 2021, we had, um, uh, I forget, 2022, the first full year post-COVID, um, we were at just shy of 93,000. And this year, year to date, we're up 40% over 2022. So by the end of the year, I fully expect to see over 120,000 men, women, and children enter our country seeking safety and a fresh start. And they're going to go to Toronto, and they're going to come to Windsor, and they're going to go to Montreal. They land in the cities because they hope that that's where they're going to get the support. Unfortunately, not realizing that we're we're having a, a housing crisis, that our country has not invested in affordable housing and and certainly not invested in in shelter services um so we've been we've been watching that and actually earlier this year we we expanded we added a second facility with an additional 11 bedrooms um so between the two sites uh we went from um you know having a capacity of both 75 to 85 at our primary location um to a total capacity of about 130 and uh, that's that's actually we're sitting at 128 uh, as of this morning who are staying with us. But um, we also going back to the beginning of the year, IRCC began using hotels in Windsor for asylum seekers who had crossed at Roxham Road. As a matter of fact, apart from the ones that have been sent from Toronto recently, um, there were just shy of 1,500 asylum seekers that IRCC brought to Windsor um, into two, three different hotels. Now, as those people have received support and moved on, um, that created some extra space that IRCC already had under contract. So that's when when uh, EJ and the and, uh, City of Toronto were like, we got to find a place for these people to go. IRCC was said, well, we're already paying for these spaces. And we won't even have a discussion about how much IRCC is paying for for those those hotel spaces with 24/7 nurses and 24/7 security. But uh, Matthew House's role um, varies. So our model calls for us to use a, a our model is a home and family model. And we really want to come alongside men, women, and children as as brothers, as sisters, as aunts, as uncles, not mom and dad. But we want to support them in the areas that they need help until they can do it on their own and really help them very quickly get there. Well, we're also um, like Dominion uh, um, Church, our uh, donor funded. We don't get any any municipal, provincial or federal funds for our, our shelter or settlement services. So uh, that means that our, our staffing capacity is limited and uh, we can only do so much so with the hotels both initially and now with those transferred to from toronto we really had to look and go okay 
what supports can we provide? Where is the map that has expertise? And, and really that's been um, for those uh, living outside of our building in the hotels, we've really focused on helping them connect to lawyers and helping them tell their story. Um, because um, IRCC is providing food and shelter for them in the hotel, but that doesn't mean anything. Getting a job doesn't mean anything. Getting housing doesn't mean anything. If six months, a year, two years from now, they're kicked out of the country, because they didn't get the help they needed to tell their story. So uh, our, our desire is to really ensure that every man, woman, and child who has a story to tell, who needs protection, is able to articulate that story to the Immigration and Refugee Board. And uh, that's, that's really where we've been focusing, but it certainly has stretched our resources because one of the things, and, and EJ, I don't know if you, um, uh, if you have seen much of this, but we're seeing a lot of inland claimants. So these are people who, because of the recent change in the Safe Third Country Agreement, um, they land at Pearson Airport, and rather than making a refugee claim right there, they are um, entering Canada as a visitor, um, and the process to make their refugee claim is longer, and during that time period, they're not eligible for any social assistance. And depending on the municipality, the municipality is not required to provide them shelter. So, so normally Matthew House would, you know, one to five percent of the people staying with us would be in that category. Um, and right now we're seeing 30% of the people staying with us are in that category where they're not eligible for any social assistance. They are fully dependent on us for their shelter, their food, their medical needs, you name it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, there are people with eligibility issues that are arriving and they are falling through the cracks. And this is again, when we value policy over, over people, right? Mm -hmm. So, and a lack of, I don't know, I don't want to say imagination. It's will, it's, it's a will issue. Yeah. Um, because I, even with, with dealing with SSHA, I'm, I'm noticing staff will really care. But it ends above their heads. Yeah. It ends above their heads. Um, the and flip side is, EJ, Toronto has a newcomer office. Toronto has this SSHA department. There's no, there's no newcomer office. That got shut down years ago. Oh. So that's okay. the dialogue to bring that back. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so there's a, basically, it's a breakdown. And the church has filled the gaps. And my argument was, why don't you just accept this is what you have. The pastor showed you a different way. Equip them to run it better. Yeah. Um, and and right now, I I sent a proposal to to uh, both on a municipal level, and and I gave them a caveat. So I was I'm just trying to buy them uh, time through the winter. I'm like, okay, why don't we use churches as emergency shelters for refugees? We're up to 450 people. I found out that churches already zoned as municipal shelters. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. And and I asked for a cost. I asked for the pre-pandemic rate of $55 per person. Uh, and so the cost for 450 people would be $2.2 million. But when I gave this submission, uh, you're going to find this funny. I literally said, I don't want my plan to be picked. <laughs> <laughs> 
if my plan gets picked, it's because it's the best one. Please, someone else come up with a better one. Yeah, come up with a better solution. Yeah. And, and EJ, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit on, on Kevin, but um, there are better things that the church can do. Um, Matthew House has a host home program, um, and we have about seven hosts right now, but it's like pulling teeth to to get hosts. But how many how many Christians um, in Toronto, how many Christians in, in Windsor, Essex have a spare bedroom? have a, a finished basement, could welcome these people into their home as brothers and sisters. And, and that, you know, uh, in, if, even if they was just Ontario Works uh, shelter and basic needs amount that, that they were getting, but then they would be in a home, not a gymnasium, not a sanctuary, not a hotel, but somewhere where they can connect with people who care about them. And and that that to me is is if we could get to that place, that's the game changer. I I mean, for space in Toronto, it it doesn't exist because um, there's the one thing that nobody wants to talk about here. Greed, greed yeah. is the root of a lot of the issues here. Why the houses cost so much? Why apartments cost so much? Some Paul guy said something about the love of money being the root of all evil. <laughs> Yeah, I I guess he made sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean nobody wants to talk about that, right? There's all these programs that people talk about, but really, if people didn't want to maximize their profits, and didn't want to maximize how much they earn, or they use this funny term. I I watched an interview where this landlord was talking about quality of life. I want to maintain <laughs> my quality of life. Oh, I'm sorry, that's. That's that's what you live for, your quality right. of, you know, like we are stewards of what we have. You know, it's it's almost like a a funny illusion of of the enemy for people to believe that they actually own anything. You know, we don't we don't we don't take anything when we die. <laughs> you know, I I um I find it fascinating. I I attended. Uh, two very hard funerals as a late uh, friends of mine uh, who are my contemporaries. Uh, and it hit home because they're around my age. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we're on uh, our new trajectories of ministry, you know, starting to formalize new things. And it was sad to see them go. But one thing I did notice is that the impact of their lives was very palpable. I went to two very packed churches. And, you know, it's funny how we don't live in a world where people are challenged to think about the end. People think about how much they own, how much they have. Instead of thinking, when I die, what will be said about me? <laughs> Who will be in my funeral? Will my funeral be packed because of the lives that I was able to impact? You know, it's... And, and and as Christians, that should be the currency that we live in. We live in the currency of the future kingdom, not this kingdom, the future one. You know, so I, I agree with you that if we model the way of sharing resources, maybe that's that's another way. But the root of a lot of this, just people just want money. Business case. Give me a business case to care for people. Yeah. <laughs> 
But EJ, can I ask you, so what about the church? So does that desire for comfort, desire for wealth, desire for all those other things translate into the church? I'm thinking not in the case of Pastor Hetty, but when we look at the church across North America, is that one of the barriers that we're facing? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's some people who write about it. Um, unfortunately, it's been written as post-colonial theology. I don't think it should be post. It should be pre. <laughs> the early church didn't care about stuff because they were like, can Jesus come back now, please? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're we're good. We're ready. Um, yeah. And so the idea of exceptionalism is what post-colonial theologian, theologians talk about. They talk about theology of empire. So power, wealth, being a sign of God's blessing, you know, that's that exists today. And um, one of the greatest recurring heresies. Yeah. And some would argue, yeah, it is a heresy. It is a heresy. Uh, and I I don't I, I don't understand how that's still a tolerated practice in many circles in church leadership. Uh, but I I mean. There's this one guy who wrote this book called uh, um, Unsettling Truths, Mark Charles. Very hard book to, to read, but but very truthful. So he believes that uh, the downward spiral of the church started not when um, not when the church became the, the official religion of Rome, but when Eusebius began to change the narrative of how Caesar was seen. And mm. Eusebius was one of the early fathers. And so right. for him to be tethered to power, he could not criticize, could not criticize Caesar anymore. Yeah. So the, I think maybe there's a clue there that when we lose our prophetic seat, mm. you know, being able to speak truth to power. And for yeah. some people, that's more gentle. You can do that gentle. You can do that barking. <laughs> Yeah, there's different ways to do it, but yeah. the moment you stop your desire to speak truth to power, I don't know. That's that's a Jay. Thing. You mentioned uh, another theological um, thought about exceptionalism. Do you want to unpack that? Oh, that's like the me thing, right? Like um, uh, wanting to be known, like I'm special. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course you're special, yeah. but like. Not at the expense of other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're all special. Yeah, we're all special. <laughs> Matter of fact, some people are more special. They just need the support to get there. You've already had the support. Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's funny, right? Because it's hard to, to separate our personal ambition and God's will sometimes. Yeah. And and the only clue I've learned so far, I could be wrong, is usually if it's bad for me but good for the kingdom, that's probably the good way to go. There you go. Yeah. EJ, I'm uh uh raising uh into the camera my shirt that Boom. I'm wearing. Our city. <laughs> Let me see your shirt, EJ. All right, here we go. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> so we're both wearing uh last year's model of the Our City uh, Toronto Conference shirt. 
And uh, there's another event coming up on November 18th at Global Kingdom Ministries in Scarborough. Uh, tell us about it, EJ. We'll, we'll promote it in the uh, show notes as well. Yeah, well, just, I mean, I, I'm hoping this doesn't just stay a Toronto thing, but this is kind of, I'm, I'm hoping this is a rally cry for people to take ownership over their city and that mm -hmm. there are people who are serving in different contexts. For some reason, uh, we, I'm not, I'm not saying being a pastor is a bad thing, but it's not the only office uh, in, in the church. There are teachers, yeah. there are prophets, there are uh, apostles. And so Executive actually- directors. Executive directors, yeah, there's, yeah, there's all these myriad of ways, and so our city is about like, hey, how can we um, agree that the city matters, and maybe agree that we should be in relationship with one another, and and how about we learn from each other so that we can serve our our context better. So it's a celebration of who's who's here. So our city, this is now the fourth, I think it's my fourth time doing it. Uh, it scares me every time I do it. <laughs> always, always makes me nervous. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I guess I, I just can't let go of the idea of uh, people agreeing to raise the Jesus banner higher than their own. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the next generation. You know, I, I want, I want there to be younger people who are in the room that see a Kevin. Uh, and say, you know what, I I I want to be like like that guy. Uh, I want to see including the beard, include all, all in all. Including the beard, that's, yeah. That's, that's a thing. That's a thing right now, man. The beard's in. It's a high bar right there. There you go. Yeah. Well, I I happened by accident, right? Like uh, uh, Paul Burke was the one who spoke at my school, and I was just some guy in the room. He didn't even know who I was. Uh, but what he said inspired me, and and now I'm here, and so I'm I happened by accident that was not intended by by Paul, uh, but now I'm being intentional, uh, and I hope that we do the same. You know, like the legacy here, the currency that I'm after is not wealth in this world. The currency I'm after is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Tell us about some of uh, the guests that you have uh presenting at the conference today conference oh, on november 18th yeah some dave wells guy is talking uh i hope he's good <laughs> david wells oh he's top shelf yeah yeah yeah. yeah. No, no he's uh the general superintendent of the poc but what i love most about him is he models unity he models ecumenism you know uh he knows that there's theological disagreements in different camps but he shows up in people's places anyway and that's that's relationship. That's raising the Jesus banner higher. So he's our plenary speaker. Uh, my friend Amida uh, Mansray Richardson. Um, she's gonna. She's the new MTSD director at Wycliffe College, part of U of T. So she's gonna talk about uh, human flourishing, uh, both both in theory and in practice. Uh, my friend John Ferreira is gonna talk about co-vocational ministry. He is talented, talented young man. I love uh, how how gifted he is. He's a business owner and a pastor, uh, and he did that intentionally. That's not accident. Uh, my wife Cheryl Walsh is going to talk about parenting faith. That uh, parents need to be intentional with discipling their children and what this that discipleship 
look like, and she's going to talk about stats. Um, my friend Heska Mandafro, who is a pastor with the Ethiopian Church, is going to talk about newcomers uh, because he was one. I used to be one. I'm, my my wife says I can't say I'm a fob because I'm not fresh anymore. Um, <laughs> fresh off boat. Yeah, yeah. I, I came off the boat, but a while ago. Oh. <laughs> it's it's been a while. A fob. Been a while. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I'm trying to think of oh, my friend Brad Sider, who is mm -hmm. the director of Maxwell Mayan, the second largest shelter in the city. Uh, Brad and I go way back. We used to uh, serve at Young Street Mission at Evergreen together. Uh, we've been in the trenches for a long time. Uh, and he's just going to have a real talk about what homelessness is about. So some of the stuff I, I talk about, he'll talk about it. Uh, and who else? Who else am I missing? I feel like I'm missing someone else. I think that's uh, it. Was that <laughs> was that was that six? I I need to double check here. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, well, I'm, I'm oh I'm Bernard Tam. Bernard Tam's gonna be there. So he he he's uh with uh, CNMA. He's part of uh, New Ventures, and he's a micro church planter. He intentionally wants a small church in his living room. Imagine that. Why would he do that? <laughs> Well, I'm planning on on being there again, and uh, maybe we'll uh, have a few people from Windsor that'll want to come up for it too. So we'll we'll help uh, cross promote the registration for that. And uh, guys, thanks for uh, coming on today. And uh, this is uh, such a fascinating story that's been unfolding, and it's really just uh, one story in in a series of much larger stories of uh, how people are being moved uh, from one part of the world to the other, um, not because that was their dream. Uh, some people come to a new country because that's their dream, but a lot of people are coming and they've been running for their lives. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we want to we wanna see Canada um, uh, actually get better at caring for immigrants and and asylum seekers and uh and undocumented and uh you know there'll always be naysayers who say oh well you know they're all these people are taking our jobs and all these people are doing this and all doing that um you, you say that all you want what does jesus have to say what do the scriptures have to say about how we're to treat the foreigner in our land and, uh, you know, I mean, government has a, has a big part to play, uh, but I would argue that we as the church have an even bigger part to play. And uh, so thanks for being on, guys, and uh, peace. We'll see you soon. Wait, he's got a question. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Can you okay. keep recording on your end for a minute, Kevin? Yeah, just yeah. Just turn it off yeah. or use it. I, I got, a, I got a, just a, a few questions. I thought um, you'd already talked yourself out, Mike. Okay, how long have we known each other? <laughs> talked myself out. Is that a thing? So, so EJ, I wanted to ask you um, just if you could in in one sentence, because as as I look at the, the the conditions around the world, and as I look at 
the number of, of those coming to our borders seeking asylum. This problem is not going away, and IRCC is not going to be able to, to purchase enough hotel rooms. What um, lessons have you learned, or what would you say to another church or community group who was looking at leaning into this space? Um, I don't think we realize the power of relationships. Um, it's funny, you, 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 you actually don't know my story, but you actually uh, tapped into my own story with that. I was an immigrant kid that was very lost and very angry because uh, I moved here when I was 11. And so that's a formative time. Um, and God sent people there my way who, who took a holy risk to care for me. You know, an English teacher who decided to pick me up from home, take me to church. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and that's the one time she did it. She never did it again. I guess I was terrible. No, no. Uh, yeah. And then a, a, a youth pastor that decided to, to care for me uh, intellectually, you know, like he nurtured my questioning and my, my challenging ways. And, and, uh, you know, I had a, another former mentor of mine, Corvo Peters pass away, you know, these two black men, him and Richard Chung, they showed me how to be a man. And so a lot of these formative, um, uh, moments, uh, helped me to get to where I am. And so we don't, fully understand the power of 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 presence uh and i think that's why i it's central to my ministry um i'm trying to replicate what i experienced um because where i've landed is far greater than what i could have ever imagined i have surpassed my own expectations of how i should be and and god had a better just had a better plan and so I'm I'm living proof, actually, that uh, caring for a foreigner could could pay dividends in so many ways. So, yeah, there you go. So welcome. If you, that's that's your message, really, to to other churches is find a way to welcome, right? Yeah, and and it doesn't have to be like make make an account of what you can give. You know, like, uh, and then operate in that, right? Negotiate what you can give. If what you can give is friendship, then give that. If what you can give is, is and that's all you can give, it's still something. Yeah. You know, the worst thing we can do is to hide what we have. You know, when Jesus told that story about the talents. Hide and hoard. I don't think people ever read that with fear and trepidation. <laughs> You know, like we will be held to account that if we did nothing with what we have, we're going to be asked, yeah. just like we're going to be asked, hey, what's up with the kicking out the hundred people for that Thanksgiving banquet? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Thank like, God I don't have the answer for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So you never know. And, and it. Uh, I always, I've always been telling people this because sometimes people do think the things I do are are crazy, and uh, and I think they're crazy, but I I tell them it begins with just having a posture of obedience. It's like okay, yeah. you 
okay, Lord, what what do you want me to do? Uh, where where do you want me to be? And for some people, you're just asked to be faithful in a small thing. That yeah. what's small to you is part of a bigger plan that God had in store. That's right. Not everybody's called to step out of the boat. Um, and if you're not called, you probably shouldn't. But if you are called, it's not crazy to lock eyes with the master and step out of the boat. Um, so one of the questions that on on the welcome I ask guests is uh, simply, and, and uh, Kevin, I, maybe I'll start with you, is what does welcome mean to you? When you think of that word welcome, um, you know, what does that look like in your ministry? What does that mean to you personally? Um, so I think, uh, first of all, it implies uh, relationship, not just access. Uh, and uh, it's a invitation into your wellness. Come into what is well. And, and I, I would take it all the way back to the whole notion of shalom. You know, the intended uh, state of wholeness that God desires for the world and, uh, and how that kingdom uh, is, is running uh, opposite to uh, empire. Empire says it's all about my might and my power and about you finding your might and your power. And, uh, but it's not by might nor power, but it's the spirit of the shalom giver that makes us well, that, that, that creates community at a, at a deeper level so that uh, nobody is going without, so that everybody has a, a place to sleep and something to eat. Excellent. And what about you, EJ? What is that concept of welcome mean to you? And, and what does that look like in your ministry? Uh, there's this old Denzel Washington movie called Antoine Fisher. Mm. And this young guy was troubled and angry, had a very sordid past. And uh, yeah, I guess Denzel Washington was his therapist and trying to help him sort through his stuff. And in the midst of uh, his journey, he started to find himself. But at the very end, he actually found his family. Uh, he was in, uh, he was in the system. He was adopted out. And there's a scene at the end. They used to always make me emotional when I was young, and I'd watch it. Uh, the elder, the elder of the home, is this old lady, and he, she knocks on the table and and motions for him to come and then she holds his face and tells him welcome that's that's what welcome means it says you're not alone we're family uh and that could be a transformative thing for so many people yeah uh, and so uh yeah, that's been my ministry life. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, it's funny what Michael's just kind of messaging me, actually, this guy, uh, I've known him 15 years since he was like homeless and sleeping outside and, and I helped him get housed and we, we were still in relationship and I took him out for his break, uh, birthday earlier this year. 
and says to me, DJ, you're a great dad. Because I have a five-year-old. He's like, oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And then he says, we gave you lots of practice. (laughs) (laughs) That's excellent. (laughs) All right, well, I take it back. Thanks, jerk. Uh, but yeah, in in my own woundedness, I was uh, able to be uh, a father figure to many young people, um, and yeah, that's that's welcome. That's that's saying, hey, you you know, I'm not I'm not your worker. <laughs> yeah, let me it's, uh, it's... let me Go flip ahead, the question back to you, Mike. What does welcome mean to you? Uh huh. I think for me, a welcome is, uh, it's it's tied very much to family. So I'm the youngest of seven kids, abusive alcoholic dad, but my mom demonstrated welcome in every word that she spoke and how she operated our home. Um, I never knew who was going to be around the table with us on any given night, even though she was out having to work full time to, to provide for, for her own kids. Anybody else that was hungry or needy um, was welcome at our table. And um, uh, sorry, I might get a little emotional here. Um, this this idea that you are us, you are family. When my mom passed, I can't tell you how many people were at her funeral um, referring to mom M, grandma M, because that's what she was. And and. And for me, you know, uh, welcome is tied very closely to hospitality, um, but not the hospitality that we think of in the Western sense of putting on a party, but in the sense where you are deeply welcoming that person into your life, into your home, and and you are journeying with them. So that's that for me is what the welcome is all about, is exploring how can we as as believers, as churches, as community organizations, um, explore ways to do that because the um, you know social service started in the church, um, but at one point in time, I mean, you guys know I've spoken about this. At one point in time, the church kind of gave it over to the government, and um, now the government struggles to keep up to it. But but we've fallen out of practice. And um, we need to explore these ways to to welcome in in our context. I'm I'm looking a lot at at the refugee claimants, the asylum seekers, but how do we we welcome the single mom? How do we welcome the person who's been struggling with um, addictions, um, alcoholism for many years? How do we welcome those struggling with mental health issues? How do we welcome the the young person who has ODD? Um, how do we welcome these people? Um, and, and that's really what I want to explore. And, and I want to thank you guys for um, participating in, in uh, what will be the Welcome's very first uh, podcast. And uh, I look forward to uh, exploring with you guys uh, being at the uh, Our City Conference, hopefully, and uh, exploring ministry and welcome with you guys in the days ahead. All right. Well, you guys are always welcome on my podcast, and that's why you've been on more than once. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And uh, we'll we'll see you soon. That was a great conversation. 
with Mike and EJ. And, you know, these are guys that have given their lives, their adult lives, to being community builders with Kingdom of God values. We need more of that in all of our Canadian cities. Well, on our next episode, I'm going to be having a chat with uh, somebody who was a guest uh, way back in season one when we had our race talks, uh, Nellie Latchman. Nellie is a Mission Canada worker uh, stationed at the University of Windsor. And uh, just a teaser for the next episode, one of our city councillors uh, approached Nellie uh, to say, hey, what you're doing on campus at the university with harm reduction, would you be able to bring that to our downtown core where there's a multitude of young adults and students that uh, frequent the nightclubs and bars. And uh, so we're going to hear about that and uh, also what else is going on in Nellie's life. She's an inspiring young woman for sure and uh, glad to call her a friend. Uh, so come back for our next episode. Until that time, I'm Kevin Rogers and you're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Thank you.